So much of our world right now is out of focus. Amidst the coronavirus disruption and dispersion, we have now seen the tragic death of George Floyd uh, in his encounter with the Minneapolis uh, Police Department and the ensuing hostility and chaos that has spread throughout much of our country. So much of our world right now is out of focus. As we think about the wider issues of racism in our country, as we think about uh, the taking of a human life, as we think about our own reticence to, in the past, speak out against evil in society or even in the lives of people that we know, as we think about our imperfect justice system, the best justice system in the entire world, how uh, we are reminded it is fallen and at times prone to evil. So much of our world right now is out of focus. As we look at the looting that is happening in dozens of cities throughout the country, including downtown LA and Little Tokyo, where there have been storefronts that have been vandalized. Uh, so much of our world is out of focus as we think about these individuals that are taking advantage of the, a chaotic situation or who would tar with the same brush all law enforcement officials. So much of our world right now is out of focus where there's too many people returning hate for hate. And our public officials are wanting us to be in focus right now as they encourage us to peaceful demonstrations, as they assure us that justice will be done, as they declare that order will be maintained. And they say that these, these examples of chaos and hostility are not the cities that they are. They are not the cities that they know. And as I think about some of the Christians that I know who come from all different backgrounds, all different races, um, and what they are focusing on, how they are processing this event, how, what they are reflecting on, what they are sharing on social media. Um, I want to share with you some of what I've been uh, hearing and seeing and even interacting with over the past 48 hours. Uh, one Asian American Christian that I know recently post, reposted uh, something that an African American man had posted where he was urging people to understand uh, the differences in the black experience in America that we are to be more racially sensitive to African-Americans speak up against evil and care about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, an Asian-American, another Asian-American Christian that I know uh, posted a picture of them marching in protest at an event that was partly inspired by what is called the Asian-American Black Lives Matter uh, movement. A Hispanic-American Christian that I know recently posted a quote by Neil, the New Orthodox theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not a fan of some of Bonhoeffer's theology, but Bonhoeffer's quote in the post was, quote, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Um, a Caucasian Christian that I know reposted an article that they had read that was written by um, an African-American Christian and the topic was on how uh, Caucasian people, white people, can be more of an ally to black people. And it just listed a whole bunch of principles and, and ways that uh, white people can repent of the ways that they um, have misunderstood or uh, mistreated black people in the past. And the uh, Caucasian Christian that reposted this post uh, really made, uh, made a comment that was really contrite and saying, I'm, I'm going to try better to remember this. A Palestinian Christian that I know, he's a pastor, he posted something on Facebook that said the following, Jesus looted because of injustice, John chapter 2. 
And uh, I actually messaged him privately and said, I think I know where you're coming from. You're, you're trying to say that Jesus is not for injustice. And I agree with that. But uh, you need to be careful about a couple things. Number one is uh, the way that that's said can almost make it sound like Jesus, if he was here on this earth physically right now, he'd be taking to the streets um, in, in a chaotic nature. And that's not the way of Jesus. And secondly, um, that passage in John chapter 2 uh, when Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers because they were ripping off the poor. Yes, Jesus thought that injustice towards the poor was evil. However, the reason why he did it was what? Because he said his father's house was being defiled. And so that's what primarily made him angry. Um, and so we need to be careful about that. Uh, there's an African-American Christian brother that I know who reposted the post of another African-American pastor. And that repost of the pastor, uh, he said this, quote, We must rise up together to rectify the individual and systemic issues we face. Issues of injustice, inequality, lack of opportunity, educational disparity, the healthcare gap, and economic inequality rooted in disproportionate employment possibilities boil to the surface in times like these, but it is their very constancy which prohibits the cure. All these can be and must be responsibly addressed as we unify around a strategic and righteous long-term plan, end quote. Another Asian-American uh, Christian uh, that I know, uh, he posted a long prayer that he was praying over the city in a video, and he prayed uh, for several things, among which were he grieved for his African-American brothers. He uh, prayed that believers who are in positions of authority in government would make changes in laws. He... Um, he called upon law enforcement to root out issues of racism and injustice, and he prayed that believers would rise up for justice and truth and for what is right uh, without fear. And that was the, largely the content of his prayer at this time. Um, another Asian-American Christian that I know posted a rather lengthy quote from a book called The New Jim Crow. It's been around for a while. But this book, The New Jim Crow, um, he quoted from the book this quote. Quote, it is not easier to see the patterns, the cycles, the predictable rhetoric, and the ways in which systems of racial and social control adapt, morph, rebound, and are reborn. We are in a moment that has as much to teach us about who we are and where we are headed if we fail to face our racial history, our racial present, our collective future with courage, honesty, and fierce commitment to honoring the dignity and value of us all. End quote. And as I think about these voices in Christianity, uh, what I see is so many of the things that they're saying are the exact same thing that the world is saying in terms of a commitment to common human decency, that uh, we want to stand up against evil. We want to help those who are uh, the victims of evil. We want to love them. We want to... Um, uh, uh, declare that our lives together as human beings should be one of uh, peace, ideally, and not one of hate. And it's better to live in peace than in hate. And so uh, those are good things. Those are important things. And what struck me was how much commonality there was between what the Christians were saying and what many in the world were saying in terms of uh, in the name of common human decency in this uh, moment, this trial and testing in, in America right now. And there's so much that is good about that. But I think for today, on this day of worship, this Sunday, 
that it's very important for us that while we recognize there's a certain commonality in our desire for peace and goodness and love and to, to stay away or to put down evil in just a general way, um, I think it's very important for us on this day as Christians to also take a look at the broader picture, to look at the spiritual picture and to ask ourselves the question, not so much what does the church share in common with the world in its pursuit of common human decency, but what is the unique difference that the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, make? That What is the unique difference that the gospel of Jesus Christ bring clarity? How does it bring clarity to this situation? And what is the unique difference that the church of Jesus Christ um, lives out in her testimony to each other and to the world around her? These are very important questions that while we look at the commonality, we are also able to couch that within the framework of the larger gospel and church picture. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote this uh, to the Ephesian church, and so let's go ahead and read this together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Paul writes this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in both one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. And so in this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about how the gospel of Jesus Christ saves us and sanctifies us and changes us. And through that, the church is created out of two men into one man as a dwelling place for God. And I want to look at three points that Paul raises that are, should be anchoring points, wider points that anchor the smaller, although important conversations that we are having in this country right now. And so let's look at this first point. The gospel teaches that hostility and chaos is endemic in fallen man. It is endemic, which means it is constantly there. It is not uh, uh, epidemic. It is not pandemic. This is not something that is a spiritual problem, hostility, and chaos that uh, kind of flares up every now and then in local areas of, of people's hearts. It is not something that is pandemic where it is worldwide, but we've kind of cured it. Uh, what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 2 is that fallen man, hostility, and chaos is endemic. It never ends in fallen man. 
before he comes to Jesus Christ. In verse 12, this listen to how Paul uh, talks about us in our fallen state. He says we're separated from Christ. He says we have no hope and are without God in the world. Verse 13 and 17, that we are far off from God. Verse 19, that we are strangers and aliens to the household of God. What Paul is saying here is that hatred, hostility, and chaos is the natural state, is the endemic state of fallen man. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, a couple months ago when the coronavirus event started, and uh, he's not a believer, but he went to the store and he saw all of the shelves just emptied out. And he texted me and he said, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Is this who we are? He said, people talk about loving one another. They talk about looking out for one another. They talk about sharing and decency. And then when he saw all of those store shelves empty and he couldn't buy things, he said, I thought we were better than this. Is this who we are? And uh, the Apostle Paul would say, yes, this is exactly who we are. That hostility and chaos and Self-serving, uh, na- uh, self-serving nature are completely inherent to fallen human nature. Uh, listen to what the writers of the Old and New Testament said about the state of the human soul outside of Jesus Christ. Uh, Moses, in Genesis chapter 9, said, God saw that every inclination of man's heart was evil all of the time. King Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. The prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. The apostle John wrote about Jesus in John chapter 2, saying, but Jesus on his own part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. The apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come uh, times of difficulty for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Joe asks, um, my friend Joe, is this who we are? And the writers of the Old New Testament would say, absolutely. The hostility towards God and hostility towards others and the chaotic spiritual nature is endemic to fallen man. And this is very important for us to understand this because we can work towards changing the, the world system to be more just to people. We can protest in the streets. We can uh, do our best to understand people who come from vastly different backgrounds than we do. But if the heart is not changed, if the soul of man is not changed, his natural state will never change. This is what Paul is saying when we are far off from God far off from the household of God. We have no hope without God in the world. And we have to understand that one of uh, the the truths that the gospel is reminding us about in this morning through this passage is that as we look at the evil that is happening out there, the chaos, the hostility, that is not uh, representative of just a few single individuals that are going crazy. That is just an outward manifestation of what is going on in all of our hearts. 
We may not express it in that outward manner, but in our thought life, in words that we speak uh, to one another at times, and even in our actions, they may not be that extreme, but they are representative of what has truly happened in a spiritually endemic nature. It is a virus. It is a sickness of the human soul that we cannot cure outside of Jesus Christ, no matter what we do in the world. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just that he came down to fulfill God's law. It is not just that he died on a cross to defeat sin and death. It is not just that he was resurrected from the dead and he offers new eternal life, both here and in eternity to those who would believe in him and follow him. Uh, That is the gospel. But the other part of the gospel is that man is in an endemic state of fallenness. The biggest lie that was ever perpetuated on the human race was not the lie, is not the lie that God does not exist. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that every single person, uh, atheist, agnostic, anything in between, knows that God exists in their heart of hearts. They may deny it, but they know that God exists when they look around at how the world is in terms of nature and the fantastic nature of the cosmos and the earth and the heavens. Paul says that every single human being that was ever born knows that God exists. The biggest lie ever perpetrated on the human race is not that God does not exist. It is that man is good, that man can come up with his own cure for the virus of hostility and chaos in his own heart towards God and other people. It is the lie that man is good and man can fix his own problems, his own spiritual problems, his own societal problems on his own without God. That is the biggest lie that was ever perpetuated by the evil one on the human race. And so we want to begin by being reminded from our passage that the gospel teaches that hate and chaos is endemic to the fall of man because we are sinful by nature. And nothing we do can change that. Even if we make society better, nothing can fundamentally change us. And so we have to go to God for that. The second point we want to make this morning from our passage is that the gospel teaches that the cure to the disease is the gospel itself. The cure to the disease of hatred and hostility and chaos is Jesus Christ himself. In verse 13 from our passage, um, Jesus has brought, been brought near. We've been brought near. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, that Jesus is our peace. Verse 14 and 17, that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between people and killed the hostility between us and God. Verse 15 and 16, that he has created in himself one man, one body in place of two, so making peace with one another and reconciling us to God through the cross. And I love this in verse 18, where Paul says that through him, that's Jesus, we that's us, both have access in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father, which is God. That Paul recognized that it takes the entire Trinity, the the Son, the Spirit, and the Father, to cure us, to heal us of our hostility towards God and one another, to cure us of the chaos that is in our spiritual lives. It took the entire Trinity to do that. And, we, and, and what Paul is, is saying is that um, if it takes the entire Trinity to heal and to cure the human soul, then we cannot think that outside of God, that passing the right laws, 
protesting enough, understanding one another, standing up for those who um, are facing injustice, that that alone, those are good things, but that alone cannot change things. And so Paul reminds us that the gospel is the cure. And thirdly, and finally for today, from our passage, that the church, she has her own testimony of reconciliation. The church has her own testimony of reconciliation as the body of Christ. Verse 19 and 20, Paul again has said that we are no longer strangers and aliens, that we are fellow citizens and saints, members of the household of God, that Christ Jesus is our cornerstone. Verse 21, that we grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, that we are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, Jesus reached out to those who were different than him, who came from vastly different backgrounds, those who were marginalized. Um, Jesus taught that Gentiles would enter the kingdom of God through him, not just Jews. Jesus ministered in Gentile areas like the Decapolis or in areas that were hated by the Jews like the area of Samaria. Uh, Jesus did much of his ministry in the region of Galilee, uh, about maybe uh, 90 miles to the north of Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem often looked down on people in Galilee, but Jesus did much of his ministry there in the book of Acts. The Jerusalem Council of Believers, the Church of Believers, decided that the Gentile believers did not have to uh, 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 obey the ceremonial and dietary laws of the Old Testament in order to become Christians, even though that they were vastly different, that they recognized that they were brought together through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. Um, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the, the church at Ephesus here, or the church at Rome, or Corinth, or Galatia, and there are many other church examples here throughout the New Testament. These churches were a combination of Jew and Gentile Christians. And the distinction between Jew and Gentile was not just originally one of belief. It was one of race. And yet, in these New Testament churches, people were brought together. And so, I think it's very important that we ask some, some questions, some difficult questions of the Church of Jesus Christ and her own testimony in this moment that America is facing. Questions like, do we really believe that the world, what the world needs most in terms of reconciliation is the gospel and that through the gospel that that reconciliation is being uh, demonstrated through a loving, reconciled community of people within the church who come from vastly different backgrounds and loving, reconciled relationships? Do we really believe that that is primarily what the world needs to see and to hear? Or do we believe that the world primarily needs to see the church protesting with them and uh, repenting for her past sins? Although, again, those things are important at some level um, in terms of standing with those who are hurting in a general way and uh, looking at the sin in your own life. But do we really believe that that is what the world needs? It's primarily the gospel and to a testimony where they look at the church and say, this is what it looks like to be truly reconciled to one another and there's no explanation for this other than God, because we certainly don't see this in the world. Do we really believe that that is primarily what the world needs to see when she looks at the church? Question number two, if the world looks at the church and does not see people living in reconciled relationships with one another and does not see people in community with people who are vastly different than them as they are brought together as one in Jesus Christ, if the world looks at the church and does not see that, what hope does the world have then? Uh, the world would just place her faith 
in everything else that she's doing and not look to the church? Do you believe that the church should be that voice, should be that testimony to the world? Number three, does it discredit our own stated belief in the gospel as Christian, as Christians? Does it discredit our own testimony in terms of our own sanctification when we are not having a testimony, when we are gathered together, where you see the rich and the poor coming together, where you see the Jew and the Gentile coming together, where you see people of, of different races coming together? Now, it's okay to have people, if you're rich, to have rich uh, other believer friends. It's okay if you're married or have kids, have other believer friends who are married and have kids. It's okay if um, you're of a certain race as a believer and you have other friends who are of a certain ra- the same race as a believer. There's nothing wrong with that. There's some good things to that. But when people look at the church, um, do they see that there is some kind of um, some kind of difference there? It's not just a homogenous environment. And if we don't have that. Does that actually work against our own testimony as Christians in terms of who the church is and our own sanctification? Uh, fourth question. Are we content to simply being commentators on the evils of society? Are we content to simply be repentant of our own uh, inaction against evil in the past, our own uh, prejudice behaviors in the past? Are we content to simply be commentators? Are we content to be empathizers with those who suffer? Um, Or should we be striving for a different end point where we say, really, that might be a starting point, but we are to be heralds of the kingdom of God. We are to be inviting others into a visible, visible representation of reconciled relationships to God and others within the confines of the church. And we are living that out both in the church and in our own personal lives. I was having a conversation with a young man who was going to our church for several years. And uh, he came into our church and he described himself as an SJW a social justice warrior. And I would meet up with him many times, talked with him on the phone many times. Um, he became a good friend. And uh, we would talk, he would talk about how um, he was so um, angry about the injustices of the world and how the poor were treated um, and how um, there was so much uh, that we should be doing as Christians. And, um, and he would post things on his social media about this, about how this was wrong and this was right and, and uh, how we need to, need to be moved to action. And, uh, you know, I, I saw this zeal in him that I thought in many ways was very admirable. But one day I just turned to him. I said, you know, um, you need to be careful because you can also come across as sounding as someone who's hollow. Um, you decry the evil of a broken society, and that's a very good thing. But at the same time, you need to ask yourself, um, you know, if, I, if you don't have actual friends who are poor, if you don't have, like, a lot of good friends who are of a different race than you, um, then you can actually sound like a hollow gong. And um, you don't want to be that Christian. You want to be uh, walking the walk and not just talking the talk, as they say. And so um, I thought that it was very important that we as a church are not just saying what we're against, but we're actually living, we're living what we're for as the church. Uh, myself and, and my wife, Lorraine, we did uh, ministry in downtown Long Beach for nine years. It was a very, uh, re- Long Beach is one of the most diverse cities in the entire country. 
Um, the area that we were in, in the inner city of, of downtown Long Beach, was a very poor area. It was a very violent area. It was an area filled with um, all kinds of um, different races, uh, very, a lot of characters down there as well. Um, and we did ministry there for nine years, and we led uh, many people to Christ there, some of which are still our good friends and are part of our church still. And um, I, I look at some of my friends who come from vastly different backgrounds, socioeconomically, uh, racially, and I've learned so much from them. But more than learning from them or them learning from me, um, we've, we've become lifelong friends as not just brothers in Christ, but we do life together. And um, I think that is the kind of testimony I want to strive for, that I want to be the type of Christian and follower of Jesus Christ. I don't live this out perfectly, but that is not primarily known for what I'm saying um, needs to happen or what I'm saying that is wrong. I want to be the type of Christian that when people look at my life, they say, um, Chris, he's not perfect, but he's trying to live out these reconciled relationships out of his faith in Jesus Christ that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, when the two men have been brought together as one man in Christ, and we're being built up as the household of God together. And um, Lorraine and I have a combined 20 years of experience in in the area of uh, Christian homeless ministry, and that has taught us so much of the most impoverished among us. I was just um, Facebook messaging with um, an old Compassion International child that I supported for 15 years. I was just messaging with him yesterday. And, um, and he's aged out of the program, but I supported him for about 15 years when he was younger uh, in the area of Rwanda. And Compassion International is a Christian organization that supports um, some of the poorest of the poor in developing world countries. Um, children, it gives, and for a monthly fee, they get um, some food, they get some uh, education, they get some uh, exposure to Christianity, among other things. And so uh, this uh, man now, who's a young child when we first uh, were connected together, and uh, we just developed this great relationship over this past year as we've reconnected. And he has taught me so much about um, giving me a great perspective on how uh, fortunate I am here in America, and also all of the injustices and all of the poverty in his own home country. Uh, but we have a relationship, a long-standing one as well. And so I want to close with this. It's important for us as Christians to speak out against evil. It's important for us as Christians to try and understand uh, people who are different than us. It's important for us as Christians to look at our own lives and see how we have failed to uh, stand up to evil in the past. We have failed in some of our wrong attitudes or speech or uh, inaction in the past. Those are good things. Um, it is very good to want um, to be a church that prays for peace. It is very good to want to be a church that, um, that wants to stand with those who are experiencing evil in, in ways that would honor God. Those are all good things. But it is also very important for us as Christians in this moment to remember that we can work for all of those good things. We can work to change the system from the inside or the outside. Uh, we can embrace one another in our time of need. But we have to remember that what the gospel is, is reminding us that um, the people out there who are showing the worst of human hostility 
and hatred or chaos, um, they are representative of all of us. They're just a more outward manifestation of what is happening in every single human heart um, that has not been healed by Jesus Christ, has not been saved by Jesus Christ. And even among those who, of us who know Jesus, we still struggle with some of those feelings or thoughts or actions at times. And we need to recognize that um, that doesn't change in the human heart through the world. It only changes when Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit and the divine sovereignty of God, brings us to himself in salvation. And we need to recognize that as a church, our testimony, not just to each other, but to the world around us, really matters. That if we truly believe that Jesus Christ has brought together two men into one through the gospel, and that he has erased the hostility between us and God and us and each other, we should see those reconciled relationships when we gather together in the church, like the church at Ephesus. We should look around and say, you know, in my household of worship, or even in my own household, I, I am in fellowship with, I do life with people, not just who are just like me or come from similar backgrounds as me, but I do life with and fellowship and serve and love others that come from vastly different backgrounds as I do. And not just as a ministry program in the church, but as a way of life. As, uh, because it is right, and it is good, and it is the way of the kingdom of God. And so we really want to challenge ourselves as a church. If um, we are not living that out, we are damaging the testimony of um, what Paul had in mind, what God had in mind, when we look at the church and see Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, um, different people from different races coming together, and that's a very important thing that we need to live out as Christians. The world is out of focus right now. The world is focusing on the wrong things. And we as a church have an opportunity in this moment to bring things back into focus. Not primarily just wanting peace in society or love towards other people, but to bring things back into focus on God and bring things back into focus on who the church is and her message of hope to the broken and lost and out of focus world around us. Let's be that. Let's be the heralds of the kingdom of God. And uh, let's hold up the hope of the gospel and let's live out faithfully our testimony as the dwelling place of God.